Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. My guest on this edition of the podcast is one of the top sports play-by-play broadcasters out there. I first met him in the summer of 1990 when he was introduced as the play-by-play announcer for the American Hockey League's Baltimore Skipjacks. He quickly made his mark. He is the voice of the NHL on TNT, the radio voice of the New York Rangers. He also calls the action of the NFL and Major League Baseball for Fox Sports. He has written a book entitled A Mike for All Seasons, My Three Decades Announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Olympics. Here is uh, Kenny Albert. Kenny, uh, welcome back to the podcast, and thank you for coming on. Ken, it's great to be with you, and I... I distinctly remember our first conversation back in the summer of 1990 hard to believe it's 33 years later i think we both look the same as we did back then uh you do i don't <laughs> my hair is gone <laughs> all right close yeah. close enough well i mean i read the book great book but i think the one thing missing in this book was that chapter about my scintillating interview with you what happened <laughs> well i appreciate you reading the book you you were one of the first who has completed it i'm still awaiting the actual cup copies of it hopefully this week but uh the electronic version went out to uh, a small group so thanks for completing the book and I, I remember our interviews back then um they must have wound up on the cutting room floor you know we couldn't fit <laughs> I, I was limited to seventy thousand words so we had to uh take a couple of things out of there but glad that we're getting to do it again here today yeah i do remember you returned a favor after i moved uh, up up to schenectady to, to join the daily gazette uh, when the uh skipjacks came to play the Cavaliers district islanders uh you interviewed me and i remember back in those days when you uh, the interview subject always got a gift i i had that watch you i kept, kept that watch for a long time that you gave me yeah that was a great deal uh that we uh put together with the skipjacks um with armatron if i remember yeah. correctly i had i had worked with Howie Rose as an associate producer during my college days on Mets Extra, the Mets pre- and post-game show on WFAN, and they had a deal with Armatron. They would give watches out to the various guests, and um, I had a contact name there, and we might have been the only minor league team in all of sports at the time giving out gifts uh, to the guests who had come on with us between periods. Yeah, the Bears never did. And I remember the players would even, uh, they would ask me to come on post-game because they, 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 they all wanted to watch. Yeah. So um, it was a nice perk back then. Yeah. Well, what do you remember about that day and the press conference back in uh, 1990? You know, we actually have a picture. You, you know, you only saw the electronic version. There's a photo in the book from that press conference, um, which was at the Days Inn in Baltimore, June of 1990. And uh, Rob Laird was introduced as the head coach of the Skipjacks, and uh, I was there because I had just been hired as the team's radio broadcaster, and some of the Washington Capitals executives were on hand, including longtime general manager David Poyle. Uh, so there's a picture of myself up at the podium that day and, and David Poyle sitting uh, just to my left at the table. Um, but it was exciting. I, I had just graduated college about a month prior, and I had done some fill-in work with the New York Islanders, and, and it was that tape. Uh, from one of the Islander games that I sent down to Baltimore and eventually wound up getting hired to do the radio, um, ironically replacing Mike Haynes, who wound up with the Capital District Islanders, the team you covered. And 
I hadn't moved down there yet. Uh, my mother came down with me to the press conference. We wound up looking for apartments that day. And about a week later, I drove down, and, and that's when I moved into my apartment. But um, it, it was an exciting day. It was, it was uh, obviously my first full-time job, and I uh, couldn't wait to get started. Uh, was in the office every day during the summer, helping out with PR and sales and marketing. But, you know, my main goal was, was to do the radio. And I, I just remember that summer counting down the days until October uh, 5th or 6th when, when the first regular season game would take place in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We'll talk a little more about the Skip Jackson in a bit, but in reading the book, Kenny, uh, the theme that stood out to me was how important your family is, and in particular your wife, Barbara. We, we, you know it's a crazy business, so lots of travel, and you know, you know, a lot of sacrifices you guys have to make. Uh, you could be calling a Rangers game on a Tuesday night at, in at Mad Madison Square Garden, They're, then you're getting on a plane to fly to Toronto to call a game on, on uh, TNT, and then maybe fly to Boston to call a Rangers game Thursday, uh, Thursday night. Uh, you know, Barbara seems like a saint uh, from reading this and has helped you navigate some interesting uh, travel situations. How important has she been? No, absolutely. And, you know, take it back one step further, um, as I'm sure you also read about, I grew up around it, obviously, with my father and uncles in the business. And when I was uh, in elementary school through high school, um, you know, he wasn't around very much for dinner, for example, on, on, on weekdays and um, did a lot of traveling on the weekends as well. But, but I thought it was the greatest thing because I got to tag along to sporting events and, and go to the WNBC studios in New York and um, to games at Madison Square Garden, Nixon Rangers games. So that was a huge part of my life growing up. And then uh, when I first met my wife, Barbara, in 94, now we wound up getting engaged in 95 and then married in 96. Uh, back then, I was, I was doing the NFL games on Fox and the Rangers radio, but the schedule probably was not as extensive as it is these days. Well, it definitely wasn't. Um, adding the NHL on NBC and then Turner, and I work some Knicks games as well and, and some baseball on Fox. So uh, she's been so great about it. She kind of knew what she was getting into back then, but like I said, the schedule has expanded even more. Um and then our kids grew up around it. They got used to it. And I, I tried to, uh, you know, I would look at it as a positive. Even though I wasn't home a lot at night or on weekends, I was able to do a lot of the things during the day, during the week, that, that other parents couldn't when they were away at work. So, um, you know, we made it work. Uh, everybody's been great about it. Um, I always tell people that despite all the work and travel that's involved, I never really feel like I'm going to work. It's, it's such a fun job getting to call games and prepare and, and study to get ready for the broadcast. So, um, you know, despite the wacky schedule and all the travel, I wouldn't trade it in for anything. Yeah. One thing I did not know about you, Kenny, was that you were born three months prematurely. Uh, there was a twin brother who unfortunately did not survive, and you weighed at one pound, 15 ounces. When did your parents tell you about that, and what was your reaction? That's a good question. I think I was about six or seven when they told me um i remember them showing me my birth certificate and telling me the story and it said on the birth certificate it noted that i was number one of two uh twins that were born that day and i'm, I'm not sure the particular reason you know why they showed it to me then maybe i needed to bring the birth certificate to school for something um but you know i had always heard 
I always knew, you know, from a young age that I was premature. I uh, spent my first two and a half months in Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan. As you said, I weighed one pound, 15 ounces and went down to one pound, eight ounces. And um, it's a story that I like to share. I've spoken at a bunch of March of Dimes events. Uh, they do a lot of work with premature babies. So um, it, it's an interesting story that, that I'm sure people, you know, like you, uh, that have not heard about it uh, might be a little shocked to hear that I was born so early and weighed under two pounds uh, when I was born. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that had to be a traumatic time because I mean, especially your dad, you know, traveling and uh, just uh, to be able to, for them to, to get through this and you get through it. I mean, how big was that? Right. Well, that's the other part of it. He was in Montreal, as I chronicled in the book. The Rangers played in Montreal on February first, nineteen sixty-eight, and I wasn't due until May fifth. And he lands at LaGuardia Airport the next day and gets a call, gets paged. Uh, one of his coworkers uh, had known what flight he was going to be on, and I guess my mother or my grandparents had uh, gotten word, and uh, he thought it was a practical joke uh, because I wasn't due for three months. So he actually headed home to their apartment in Manhattan at the time, and when she wasn't there, he realized, okay, I better get myself to the hospital. So, um, of course, a sporting event comes into play, uh, the fact that he was he was away uh, with the Rangers the night before. Um, as I also mentioned in the book, I, I sort of equate both of my daughter's births with sporting events. Uh, when my oldest, Amanda, was born in 1999, at 4 a.m., I had just spent the previous night, you know, about five, six hours before she was born, uh, watching the Mets one-game playoff with Cincinnati. Al Leiter was terrific that night, and uh, the doctor who delivered her was a big Mets fan, so we actually watched part of the game together. And then when my younger daughter, Sydney, was born, um, it was the day after the Tampa Bay-Oakland Raiders Super Bowl. Um, and ironically, I wound up working many years later with Rondé Barber, who's a good friend, and, and he uh, he became a Super Bowl champion that day. So I told him the story. I told Al Leiter the story. Uh, but when I, when I bought the newspapers the day both of my daughters were born, uh, which which... I always wanted to do just for posterity, and I still have them. But uh, Al Leiter and the Mets were on the cover one day, and, and the Buccaneers Super Bowl championship was on the cover uh, for the other one. Yeah, I can sort of relate to that because when my son Stephen was born on October fifth, twenty twenty, the uh, NHL season had started, and we I think ESPN was showing the uh, Flyers in Vancouver in the uh, my wife's room at the time before we went down to have uh, my son delivered, so I can understand the hockey, uh, the sports aspect. So that means our, my daughter and your son have the same birthday, October 5th. Yes, yes, about that. That's, that's pretty ironic. So uh, I, I didn't mention your dad, Marv. You, you mentioned him. Uh, in the, I did not mention him in the open. Uh, how much of an influence was he uh, on you following his footsteps? Well, a huge influence, you know, in that I grew up around it and, and watched him prepare and work. And uh, when I was old enough, I would start to keep the stats for him at, Rangers games, Knicks games, football games, and that was like a classroom. Uh, you know, back at that time, I was learning by via osmosis. You know, I would try to listen to each and every word. You know, that the conversation that he would have with the color analyst. I would listen to the uh, producer and the headset, and learn. You know, learn so much about the business behind the scenes. So it's not like he would sit me down and give me lessons, but. Um, I would just observe and try to soak it all in. And, and that's where I learned a lot of um, what I know about the broadcasting business. And like I said earlier, he would take me along on road trips and I would keep stats for him. And it was just such an invaluable experience back then. 
because I realized that I was years ahead of other kids who would uh, study sportscasting and whether in high school and back then there weren't a lot of programs in high schools like there are now or in college. So um, definitely got a head start on things. Yeah. Now, how important, Kenny, was it for you to uh, forge your own path as a play-by-play announcer and not have the critics out there saying that, oh, you got to judge this because you're uh, Marv Alpert's son? Yeah, I thought it was very important getting, getting hired in Baltimore, and I'll always be grateful uh, to, to Tom Ebright, the team owner, and Jim Riggs and Alan Rackman with the Skipjacks at the time, who were the gentlemen involved in, in my hiring. Um, worked two years in, in Baltimore with the Skipjacks and then moved on to home team sports down in Washington, calling Capitals home games and filling in on, on Bullets basketball at the time, now the Wizards and Orioles baseball. And um, I, I really enjoyed, you know, as I wrote about in the book, I love the five years that I spent in, in Baltimore slash D.C. And um, I felt that I was able to forge my own identity, um, not in my home area. And I thought that was a big part of it. Uh, you know, just getting the reps, the, the 80 hockey games a year with the Skipjacks and then the combination of hockey and then some other sports uh, with home team sports. But I, I thought that was huge early on. Um, you know, I know these days some young announcers are fortunate enough, you know, to start in the big leagues, whatever sport it might be or, or with the network. But I, I really cherish those two years that I spent in Baltimore, riding the buses, the six, eight, ten hour bus rides and just being such a, a part of an organization and learning how everything works. So um, I, I really wouldn't trade in those years for anything. Speaking of bus rides, uh, when you went on the road, your roommate was an assistant coach by the name of Barry Trotz. And of course, he went on a great, a great NHL coaching career with Nashville, Washington, winning a Stanley Cup there in 2018, and the New York Islanders. He's now the general manager of the Nashville Predators. What was it like hanging out with him? It was great. I, I first met Barry during the summer of 1990. Uh, I was 22 years old. Just hired as the Skipjacks broadcaster. He was 26 or 27, hired as the assistant coach. And uh, he's just such a great guy. Uh, he's a regular guy. If, if you ran into him on the street, you would have no idea that he's the third winningest head coach in National Hockey League history. And I, I did learn a lot from him, um, you know, both about hockey and, and about life in general. So um, really, really cherished the three years that we, the two years that we spent together in Baltimore. And um, he actually, as you probably noticed, uh, wrote one of the blurbs at, at the front of the book. So we still keep in touch. And I see him whenever I'm working a game involving one of the teams he's been with, whether it was Nashville, Washington, the New York Islanders. And now he's back in Nashville as the general manager. But just a great guy, terrific family. And, uh, you know, we have that bond from the two years that we spent together. Uh, to save money at the minor league level, they had the, the radio guy room with the assistant coach. So uh, two years in hotel rooms in uh, cities such as Utica, Binghamton, uh, uh, Albany, when we would go off to play CDI, and uh, all over the American Hockey League. But it was a lot of fun and great memories. Well, one of your partners on the Skip Jacks broadcast was our mutual friend Dave Starman. Uh, What was it like working with him? And uh, tell us a story about him dropping the Calder Cup in 1995. (laughs) Well, Dave's a good friend. And I first met Dave... uh, you know, you'll be interested to hear this, Ken, because you know a lot of the players in this story. Um, when I was in college, I played in a, a pickup hockey game at midnight on Mondays in Manhattan at the old Sky Rink, a couple of blocks down from Madison Square Garden. The rink was on the 16th floor of, a, of an office building. And uh, a lot of local media members played in this game. John Delapina, 
who was writing for the Daily News at the time, and Frank Brown, who was a Daily News hockey columnist, and many others. And uh, that's where I first met Dave Starman. He was one of the goalies in the game. He had done some media work with Stan Fischler and uh, a couple of other publications. So we first met playing adult hockey uh, as college students. And when I was hired uh, by the Skipjacks, uh, uh, two things happened in the locker room that night when I was telling these guys about the new job. Uh, John Delapina said to me, call my college roommate, Ken Rosenthal. He's a columnist for the Baltimore Evening Sun. He knew that I didn't know a lot of people in Baltimore, so he gave me Ken's number, who's now a colleague at Fox Sports. And Dave Starman said to me, hey, I'd love to do color with you on some of the games. Uh, I'll meet you on the road. You know, I'll just do it for free. Because, you know, at that level, they weren't paying a color analyst. So Dave would drive and meet me in Hershey and... Some of the cities I just mentioned, Utica, Binghamton, Springfield, New Haven, uh, just to get the experience. He would uh, he would show up and do color, and occasionally he would come to home games in Baltimore. He became my roommate. He would use the uh, uh, you know sleep on the couch in my apartment, and we became great friends. And uh, you know to this day, still keep in touch. And we saw each other at a dinner a couple of weeks ago, and he's become. Uh, you know, the number one analyst in the world of college hockey on the TV side. So uh, really proud to see his success. But um, it also all started for us back together during the Baltimore days. Yeah, talk about the, him, him dropping the Calder Cup. Right. So when Barry Trotz, uh, when, when the Skipjacks moved to Portland, Maine, so I, I left to do the Capitals games and the Skipjacks wound up moving after the 92-93 season. And in 93-94, they, they advanced to the Calder Cup final. And a bunch of us who had worked with the Capitals and the Skipjacks and New Barry, we had always said that if, if he ever gets to a championship uh, series, that we would be there uh, if they could win, you know, on a given night. And uh, a bunch of us went up to Portland. Uh, they, they did win the Calder Cup. They beat Moncton. And during one of the postgame celebrations, at a local establishment, uh, Dave, myself, and Byron Defoe, the longtime goaltender who was with the Skipjacks and had a really good NHL career, um, Dave wound up dropping, accidentally dropping the Calder Cup on, on Byron's toe. Uh, luckily, there were no injuries involved. And, um, and then you fast forward to 2018, so 24 years later, uh, the Capitals win the Cup out in Las Vegas, and... Barry Trotz was behind the bench, and I was there doing uh, national radio with Westwood One. So uh, went down to the ice after the game. We took a photo together. So both times Barry's won a championship. Uh, I'm proud to say that I've been in the building. Yeah, that's great. Um, I texted Dave uh, on Sunday night and asked him to give me a question, and he said to ask you about the night you called a game on the phone in Binghamton. <laughs> yeah, that's a true story, and I think that made it into the book. I think it did, yes. Yeah, thank you. We had... We had antiquated radio equipment, as you can imagine, back then. And this had happened once in college as well, calling a basketball game for NYU up in Rochester. Uh, but I was with Dave in Binghamton calling a Skipjacks game. And um, back then, at that level, the play-by-play announcer is also the engineer. So I had to set up all the equipment. And I'm not the most technologically sound person, but I would have to set up the equipment for every game, attach it to a phone jack, and that's how we sent the signal back to the radio station in Baltimore. But on this one night, uh, for, for whatever reason, the equipment was malfunctioning. It wasn't working. And we wound up plugging in an actual old-school rotary phone <laughs> that we carried with us 
um, sort of as a backup and, and to communicate with our station uh, if we had to chat with them during the course of the game. Remember, this is before cell phones, before texting and emailing. So we carried this uh, antiquated phone around as well. And we wound up doing the game on the phone. And we would pass it back and forth to each other. I would do the play-by-play. I would pass it over to Dave. And I remember at one point he jokingly said, uh, here, it's for you. He gave me the phone back. So <laughs> that's a, that's a true, absolute true story. We called the game from Binghamton through, an, through a telephone. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, John Delapia and Ken Rosenthal. I mean, I have a connection to those two gentlemen. Uh, I was, I, in fact, coming up in November, be 40 years I've been in this business uh, and I started at the York Daily Record as a part-timer when I was at the York College of Pennsylvania my junior year. And uh, two of the people I, that joined the paper shortly after I had you know, started doing some part-time work were John and Kenny. And uh, Kenny ended up leaving, I think, late 85, 86, or early 86 to go to Camden to the Courier Post and actually cover the Flyers there. I don't think a lot of people know that. And I was promoted to full-time after Kenny replaced uh, left. So... Uh, it's, so it's ironic that we have, you know, <laughs> those people in the same circles. An all-star cast, for sure. That's right. Well, let's take a break. Uh, we're talking with uh, Kenny Albert. We'll talk more about his uh, new book and uh, ask him a little bit about the upcoming NHL season. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle, and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity. From the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Hi, this is Mark Kestesher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and college football on ESPN Radio. I grew up in Gilderland. I'm a proud member of the 518, and I go back over 30 years with Ken Schott. And when I'm not listening to his Schottsky Radio, I'm listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Here's Ken. Back here on the Parting Shots podcast, Kenny Albert joining me to talk about his uh, new book, A Mike for All Seasons. Uh, you mentioned, Kenny, that uh, you rose, you, you know, joined the Washington Capitals covering our, you know, covering the games for home team sports, the late great home team sports, I may say, because I, I remember them back in the day when I was at York. And then uh, a new sports entity uh, came on board late in 1993. Uh, the NFL announces that it had awarded the NFC broadcast package to Fox which was really the fourth network uh, back then at the time. And, I mean, it shockingly ends a, uh, ended a long association with CBS, and many of the CBS personnel made the move to Fox, but the network still needed announcers. So how did you end up getting a job calling NFL games? Well, again, uh, Ken, that was a crazy time in, in sports broadcasting, and uh, it's the subject of uh, a good portion of a chapter in my book, uh, which is titled, the, the chapter's titled, Thanks, Rupert, yeah. uh, because Rupert Murdoch, um, who obviously ran Fox and has run Fox for a long, long time, um, made this totally unexpected, crazy bid to wrestle the NFC package away from CBS, who had had it for about 35, 38 years at the time. So in late 93, um, I remember I was about to call a Capitals game. I was in the media room at the old U.S. Air Arena 
And up on the news, uh, the local news, they were talking about the fact that CBS would lose the NFC package to Fox. And, um, you know, people in the broadcasting business were shocked. Uh, there were jokes about, you know, who's going to call the games for Fox? Bart Simpson? Because at the time, Fox did not have a sports department. And it turns out over the next couple of months, uh, they wound up hiring uh, two, you know, tremendous veteran broadcast crews from CBS, Pat Summerall and John Madden, and then Dick Stockton and Matt Millen for the second crew. And the Fox executives at the time decided to uh, hold auditions, and they wound up hiring four really young play-by-play broadcasters. Uh, three of us did not have a lot of football experience. Uh, Fox hired Kevin Harlan, who was a little bit older than, than the rest of us. He had been doing radio for the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, to this day, one of the great play-by-play guys on CBS and Turner and uh, does NBA basketball as well. And Westwood One Radio, he does the Monday Night Football. And they also took a chance on, on myself, Joe Buck, and Tom Brenneman. And, you know, I'm really proud to say that uh, heading into the upcoming NFL season, it will be my 30th year at Fox, hard to believe, calling NFL games. Uh, Joe Buck's had a Hall of Fame career, uh, 28 years at Fox, now at ESPN, calling Monday Night Football. And Tom Brenneman had a terrific 25-plus year run at Fox as well. So uh, we were all hired back then in 94. Uh, Like I said, three of us had not done a lot of football. I had done some local high school and college football around the New York area uh, from about 84 through 89. So I hadn't really done football for five years since then, but spent a lot of time uh, during those years with my father doing stats. So I was at NFL games, I was listening to the broadcasts, I was around the production folks, uh, listening in while the game was going on, so I did have that experience. But um, again, hard to believe it's 30 years, worked with some unbelievable partners through the years, um, eight full seasons with Daryl Johnston and Tony Saragusa and Moose and Goose, and you know, I, I, I think back all the time just to how how much fun those years were not only calling the games but some of the activities that we partook in off the field with goose because he would never uh he would never be sitting still he would always want to be doing something on a saturday morning when we had some free time so uh covered a lot of that in the book as well but uh yeah you know just thinking back to 93 94 when when rupert murdoch uh made the deal with, with the nfl that that changed a lot of our lives and uh, I just turned 55 in February, so I've been calling NFL games for more than more than half my life. This will be season number 30 coming up. And you're the last of the original play-by-play announcers, I believe, right? Last one standing in the booth, <laughs> play-by-play and color analysts. Uh, nobody else is still at Fox. Um, Terry Bradshaw and Howie Long are still in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were there uh, right from year one. So uh, we took a pretty neat group photo together. Um, there were 18 of us both on the air and behind the scenes, who, who were at Fox during that first uh, season back in 94. Goose seemed to be a man of the people. Uh, what was he like? He was the best. Uh, we lost Goose last year, you know, as you know, last June. Um, eight years with him, and when, you, when you're part of a football production crew, they become family because you're with them Friday through Sunday, Friday morning through Sunday night for 18 or 20 straight weeks. So you probably spend more time with your crew than with your actual family during those four months. And Goose was uh, one of a kind. He, he was larger than life. Uh, always wanted to be doing something, uh, you know, to quote him, to enjoy life. 
you know, whether it was all of us going on a swamp boat tour in Louisiana, petting baby alligators, uh, riding in you know race cars 140 miles around the track in Charlotte, which we all did. Um, the only time I ever shot a gun was at a range in uh, uh, in Dallas, you know, shooting at targets with, with moose and goose. Um, we, we went on a, a jet boat in Niagara Falls, got soaked. Uh, got soaked by Shamu at SeaWorld in San Diego. All those activities were with, with Tony Saragusa. So um, uh, still keep in contact with his family. I saw them at a, a benefit golf tournament uh, to raise a lot of money for one of the charities that he was heavily involved in. So, um, you know, and also the respect that he had from players and coaches whenever we went to practice and, and production meetings. Um you know, they were all well aware of what he did on the field, part of the championship team with the Ravens back in 2000. So uh, we all miss him. And uh, when I think back, you know, those are definitely some of the great memories that I've had through the years. Of course, you work with Eddie Olchek on TNT. And I remember recalling in the book that you uh, sent a letter to the U.S. hockey team in 1984. And uh, Eddie uh, responded, gave me the autograph. Uh, does he remember that? By the way, if you heard my cell phone ring in the background about two minutes ago, that was Eddie. So I'll have to call him back as soon as we're done with this. Um, Eddie did not necessarily remember receiving the letter, but he, but I told him the story for many years now. Um, and it's a crazy story, the fact that you know we worked together all these years later. Back in 84, Eddie was 17 years old playing on the U.S. Olympic hockey team in Sarajevo. I was 16, a high school student on Long Island. And a couple of months before the Olympics, I decided to write a letter to one of the U.S. Olympic hockey players for an autograph, and it was Eddie Olchek. I don't know how I picked him, but somehow I did. And he wrote back. He sent me a team photo, which he signed, and I still have it to this day. And I've told him the story, you know, probably for the first time about 20 years ago when we first met. And um, he actually mentioned it in his book, and I mentioned it in my book. So, um, you know, not only, you know, do I work with Eddie after, you know, 39 years after the letter, the autograph that he sent, but uh, Keith Jones, who, who was with our crew, with, with uh, the two of us on TNT for the last two years, is now the president of the Flyers. Um, I called his first goal. He came to the Skipjacks from Western Michigan back in uh, March of 92. He had been a Washington Capitals draft pick. Mm -hmm. And I wound up calling his first goal. I remember sitting in front of him on a couple of bus trips. So it's wild that all these years later, the three of us were paired together, and, and we all had such a connection to one another. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, Jonesy does uh, helps turn that my flyers around. I mean, it's been a just a tough few years watching them just in mediocrity. I just uh, I grew up in you know, going to games at the Spectrum, and you know, was, was there for May nineteenth, nineteen seventy four, for the Flyers' first Stanley Cup, and it's just a shame what has happened to that organization. Uh, yeah, how do you think Jonesy will do? Well, he's also one of my favorite people, and, and he has such a high hockey IQ. So, uh, working with Daniel Briere and John Tortorella, you know, I know they've kind of they've teared it down, so it's a rebuild. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't bet against Jonesy. I'll put it that way. He's uh, everywhere we went with him, visited with other players and coaches. You know, again, similar to Goose, you could just tell the respect that everybody has for him, um, and his story is incredible. The way that he. Uh, wound up making it to the NHL, which he never expected, and forged out a, a, a decade-long career. You know, played on lines with with the likes of Joe Sakic and Peter, Peter Forsberg and Peter Bondra, a 500 goal scorer, and Eric Lindros and John LeClair in Philadelphia. So, 
Um, you know, he's been around a lot of smart hockey minds, and he's right there, you know, as one of them in that group. So I think he'll do a terrific job. I, I, I have to compliment you and TNT for the job you guys have done in the two years he's had the NHL. I know a lot of people were focused on ESPN getting the package back after uh, you know, over you know, since uh, almost two decades since they didn't have it. Uh, but I think the fact that you guys have done such a terrific job, and it seems like. Yeah, it seems like there's a mandate there to have fun. I mean, you look at the the, the, the studio show. Liam McHugh, I, I, he has a personality now on TNT. I think he was, I don't know, stifled at NBC Sports. I mean, he, he seems to enjoy himself uh, on the broadcast. Of course, yeah, I have Paul Bissonette there. I mean, he's going to make things fun for you. And, uh, you know, you have Anson Carter, uh, Henrik Lundqvist, and, of course, Wayne Gretzky when he's around. It just seems like it's you guys have, you know, it, especially because you know, obviously with the NBA on TNT and the studio show that they have, uh, it's, I think it's they, they have fun, and it seems it, and it comes over in the broadcast. Well, it's a great group. TNT did such an amazing job putting together uh, both the broadcast teams and the studio group, and they've been on the road with us in the playoffs in the conference final in the West last year, and then during the Stanley Cup final this year. And I think the synergy. It's such a big part of it, you know, having Liam and Wayne and Henrik and Biz and Anson, as you mentioned, uh, with us for two weeks during the Florida Vegas series this year and the Colorado Edmonton series last year. Um, but they're all such great personalities and we do have a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we'll lose Jonesy this year, but he's still a part of all the group techs. So uh, he's not totally uh, gone from us. How much of a thrill was it for you, Kenny, to become the radio play-by-play voice of the Rangers and follow in your dad's footsteps? Yeah, it was a huge thrill. I mean, it was sort of a a lifelong uh, dream to to be the radio voice of the Rangers growing up around it. Um, But to be honest, um, you know, once I got hired in Baltimore and then Washington, I thought I would be there for a long time. Uh, Really enjoyed the people I worked with, loved, working and living in the D.C. area. But then when the opportunity came about um, in the summer of 95, um, it it was somewhat of a tough decision because I felt loyalty to the people who had hired me in Washington and, again, really enjoyed what I was doing, and it was on the TV side. But it was definitely the right decision uh, to come back to New York and be a part of the Rangers and Madison Square Garden and MSG Networks. And here we are 28 years later, and it's been a terrific run with – uh, first, Sal Messina as my partner, then Brian Mullen for a couple of years, and now going on season 19 with Dave Maloney, uh, the former captain of the Rangers, who's been my partner since 2005. He's my longest uh, running partner as far as any of my color analysts in any sport. So uh, we have a lot of fun together. Fortunately, uh, really since 05, it's been a great run for the Rangers. You know, the Henrik Lundqvist era, making it to the playoffs 11 out of 12 years. Uh, from the start of his career and we've had some long runs to the conference final in 2012 Stanley Cup final in in 14 the conference final in 15 and again in 2022 so uh, there's nothing like calling games at Madison Square Garden I get to work about 15 or 20 Knicks games a year as well on the TV side with Walt Clyde Frazier so uh, just so many great memories and uh just thankful uh, to be able to work at Madison Square Garden 40 or 50 times each year. What was your uh, craziest travel experience? You know, I've had a couple of, uh, I don't want to say close calls because I've, I've never missed a game due to, due to a travel situation, knock on wood, you know, fortunately. 
Um, you know, occasionally I have to fly on the day of a game, which could get a little dicey, you know, given weather situations. But um, the craziest stretch would have to be during the 2014 NHL Conference Finals um, when I was asked and assigned by NBC to work the Western Final, which was L.A. Chicago. And ironically, the Rangers made it to the conference final that year uh, for the first time since 1997. Uh, well, 2012, but I wasn't doing the TV at the time, 97 before that. So it was only their second time in, in 17 years. And that was Rangers Montreal. So I was going back and forth with TV and radio between New York, Montreal, Chicago, and L.A. So there were a lot of red-eye flights, early morning flights. There were one or two off days during that stretch, so I could actually travel, uh, you know, in peace, like, like you know, uh, not crazy for, on a couple of those days, but there were probably eight or nine days where it was either a red eye or an early morning flight, and uh, that, that was pretty hectic. I wound up working 13, uh, 12 out of the 13 games in the conference final that year, and then all five games during the Stanley Cup final, so... Um, I may have been the only person in history to work each of the last 17 games played in a given NHL playoff year. It's it's almost impossible to do that. Yeah, most memorable game you called? You know, it's hard to it's hard to narrow it down to one. Um, okay. You know, if I go by sport in hockey, I called the Rangers winning in '94, beating Vancouver on NHL radio. Uh, so I was there for Game Seven at the Garden, calling the Stanley Cup on the TV side two of the last three years. So Tampa Bay, Montreal in 2021, and then uh, Vegas and Florida this year. And the women's uh, gold medal game in Pyeongchang in 2018 when the U.S. beat Canada in the shootout. That's certainly high on my list. Um, baseball, the one that I get asked the most about is the Bautista home run and bat flip mm-hmm. back in 2015 in the American League Division Series. Football, there are probably too many to to mention, and I run them down in my book. But, you know, there, there are certainly playoff games that, that stick out. Um, I did the international feed, the world call of uh, Super Bowl 46, Giants and Patriots. But then there were so many moments in football games. I had the Victor Cruz 99-yard touchdown against the Jets. Uh, Terrell Owens stopping on the Cowboys star. Michael Vick early in his career with a crazy 46-yard overtime touchdown game-winning run in Minnesota. And a number of others uh, on the football side. So um, the basketball, I would have to say, uh, a playoff game this year called a Knicks Cavaliers game in the first round, uh, where the Garden was just you know going crazy. Um, I, I put that up there as far as basketball, but uh, I do I do write about a lot of them in the book, and I'm probably forgetting some here. But those are those are certainly among the ones that stand out. I will bring out the one that happened last season in the NFL, the Patriots Raiders lateral game. Where oh, absolutely, yeah, that, that that's the most recent one. Um, yeah, you mentioned the Patriots game in Las Vegas, the Chandler Jones interception. I snuck that in. It was it was a little bit after the deadline, but I was still making some corrections and edits, so I was able to get that one into the book. And then you mentioned right right before the last lateral that was intercepted that, that you said the Stanford band is not on the field, and then all of a sudden the the Patriots turned the ball over, touchdown, game winning touchdown, game over, and it was just not so. Yeah, that was that was that's definitely towards the top of my list as well. That was crazy. Well, let me ask you about the Rangers, Kenny. Uh, Gerard Gallant was fired after two seasons and replaced by Peter Laviolette, who was let go by the Washington Capitals. And this is going to be Laviolette's sixth NHL head coaching job. Uh, what can he do to get the Rangers back on track? You know, to be honest, I, I, I think this group 
and we saw them go all the way to the conference final two years ago and then unfortunately for the Rangers and their fans lost to the Devils in the first round in game seven this year after you know they look like world beaters the first two games 5-1 and 5-1 in Jersey but you know, it's hard to win in the NHL. It's hard to win a playoff game, a playoff series, let alone the Stanley Cup. I mean, they were, you could probably have made a case for all eight teams in the East last year in the playoffs. Um, they all could have advanced deep into the postseason, including the Rangers. Um, had they beaten the Devils, who knows? Maybe they would have been playing Vegas in the Stanley Cup final. So I think with this group, they still have three, four, five years in them, you know, to make some deep playoff runs. Again, once the playoffs get here, a lot depends on goaltending and momentum and injuries and matchups, etc. But you have a, a Vezina Trophy winning goaltender in Igor Shosturkin, a uh, terrific group of defensemen. I think top five are among the best in the league, you know, led by a Norris Trophy winner, and he finished second in the voting this year in Adam Fox. And then a group of all-star forwards. So with Peter Laviolette coming in, he's won a Stanley Cup. Uh, he's brought two other teams to the cup final, as you're well aware, including uh, the Flyers. So um, looking forward to the start of training camp and, and the start of the regular season. It's a team that did finish with over 100 points each of the last two years under Gerard Gallant. Uh, had the great run two years ago. Uh, fell short, obviously, this year. But again, I think I think they're one of the probably eight teams in the league that have a legitimate shot to, to win the cup this season. So what NFL game you have on September 10th? Uh, we have Jacksonville at Indy the first week. Should be an interesting game with uh, the Jaguars having gone to the postseason last year and uh, the quarterback situation in Indianapolis. Um, then we go to Atlanta. We have Green Bay at Atlanta week two, New Orleans at Green Bay week three, and then the Rams in Indy week four. Wow. So you, got, you, know, you know what you're doing next uh, month. Uh, that's It's going to be interesting seeing Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers quarterbacking. And we have the home opener. So yeah. without... You know, when, when you think back to the Fox era, uh, the last 30 years, you had either Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers uh, starting all those home openers in Green Bay. So it will certainly be different with uh, with Jordan Love behind center. When is the book coming out? So the official publication date is October 10th. I'm told that I will receive actual copies over the next week or so, so I can't wait. Uh, we have a number of events we're putting together. Uh, both in the New York area and on the road once once my hockey and football schedule becomes a little bit more clear uh, beginning in October. So uh, really looking forward to it. Um, started it during the pandemic when we all had a lot of time on our hands and finished it up last summer and uh, can't wait to see the actual book in print. You know, I know we mentioned a couple of the folks who helped out with the blurbs, but also so excited that uh, Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier wrote the forwards and you know i know you had a chance to to read the electronic edition yep. but you know could not be more of an honor to have those two gentlemen uh, agree to take part in the book project and, and write the forwards for me yeah it's, that has to be a thrill so yeah i highly recommend getting the copy of the book um to our my listeners here on the parting shots podcast kenny this has been a blast i'm very appreciative of you coming on and uh spending some time talking about the book and talking about uh, you know, all your wonderful broadcasts you had over the years. I hope we come back on again soon. 
Thanks, Ken. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Look forward to joining you again, uh, hopefully in the near future. All right, thanks. That's Kenny Albert. And that'll do it for this edition of the Parting Shots Podcast. I'll have another podcast later this week. My Gazette colleague and Mike McGadden will join me to look back at a dark day on Saratoga's Trapper's Day at Saratoga Racecourse. And I'll preview the start of the Union College football season under new head coach John Poppy. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on X and threads at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.